As we prepare to hear our scripture today, uh, we continue in the narrative lectionary, uh, hearing about God's work with God's people over the generations. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard the story from Exodus about the call of Moses, where Moses encountered God in a burning bush and was called by God to help let God's people go. Uh, as we heard in that story, Moses was afraid, wondered if he was up to the task, and God reassured him that God would be with him and that he could lead through this challenging and liminal time. Well, in the space since that reading and where we are today, Moses has been leading. Along with his brother Aaron, they went and confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and said no, and that began the 10 plagues against Egypt. The last one of those plagues, uh, the death of the firstborn, is what led to the Passover story and the Exodus, where the Hebrew people were instructed uh, in that last plague to leave in the middle of the night to take their unleavened bread and to flee out of Egypt. And uh, they fled, and then Moses led them uh, out of Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea, uh, which is the Exodus story. And so where we find them today is they have now been in the wilderness for six weeks. And uh, this life post-slavery is not all that it was cracked up to be. They are wandering in the desert, they're away from uh, their stable home. Their supplies of food and water are dwindling. And uh, they wonder what is going to happen. And so as we'll hear some of them uh, come back to Moses to complain and say, can't we go back to Egypt? Because even though we were enslaved, we had food and uh, water. And so as we'll hear uh, through Moses, God invites the Hebrew people to trust and to trust that God will provide for their daily needs, to trust that they can care and support one another, and to trust that in God's kingdom, uh, there is enough for everyone. So let us listen to the word of God. Our reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came to the wilderness, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, 
because God has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against God, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against God. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for the Holy One has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what God has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs. A portion to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered, gathered as much as each of them needed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, throughout scripture and really throughout our lives, wilderness is often a time of deep spiritual formation. It's a liminal time. It's a threshold time. Often it's an in-between time. And as for the Hebrew people this morning, it's a time when they have left the world that they've known, and yet they're not yet in the world as they know it to be or want it to be. And so in this wilderness time, we find them full of worry and anxiety, and rightly so. They have left uh, homes in moments notice. They've left uh, their society behind, but without uh, knowing where their next meal would come from, right? They're in the wilderness and their basic needs are now not being met. They need water, they need food. Uh, this is not the place where they thought they would be. And so they go to Moses and Aaron and it makes sense and they say, can't we go back? Can't we go back? Because at least back there, even though we were slaves, we had food to eat and water to drink. But God says, no. God says, no, I'm going to invite you into a different way of living, a way of deeper trust. 
a trust in me to provide your needs, a trust in each other as you learn how to uh, share with each other, and to trust in an economy that says there is enough. There's enough for all of you. This is in contrast to the economy that they've just come out of, an economy where you could be a slave and work all day and the fruits of your labor would go to storehouses for someone else. Where you could be exploited and used and, and build buildings for the wealthy to live in. And instead, it says this is an economy where everybody has enough. But you've got to trust in me and you've got to trust each other. And the hope then is that uh, after these 40 years, which is how long they're in the desert, how long it takes them to get Egypt out of their system, that when they enter the promised land, they will remember these lessons of mutuality and reciprocity and enough for all. Well, as we think about this threshold time for us, it's also a time of deep spiritual formation for us as individuals and as a church. As we listen for how is God inviting us into new territory to live in new ways? One of the things we hear in this story is that God is, hears the cries of God's people, that God um, wants to meet the basic needs of God's people and invites us to remember and to think about that there is enough for everybody. And so as we um, come into this um, time and actually continue to live into this time, part of our job is to think about um, not only how do we get our daily bread, but I think especially for those of us who are accustomed to privilege and to have it, how can we be part of the daily bread provided to others. Because the reality is we are also leaving behind a system that the pandemic and injustice and climate change has, has highlighted for us that we see the system that we've been part of and privy to has been exploited to the earth and to others. And that uh, we are being invited to live into a new way, even if we don't know yet what that way is going to look like. And so, um, as a church here, we are entering an intentional year of discernment, of listening to the Spirit, and how um, God is inviting us to live in this time, and what are the new ways that God wants to draw us forward and help us uh, create a, an economy of enoughness and uh, mutuality and flourishing for all of God's people. And one of the ways that we can think about this is by asking the question, what are the concrete needs in our community that are not being met? Um, who are the voices that we need to be listening to? And how has God given us um, skills, resources, passions, land, a building to help meet those concrete needs? And so, um, as part of our uh, journey together this year, we've adopted the theme, um, 
weaving spirit and story to discern our way forward. And part of the way that we're going to listen for the spirit is also listen to the stories of both our own history and how God has worked through our church before, but also listening to the stories of others in our community, uh, in our, our sister congregations, to um, hear what is happening, what is alive for them as a way to help us move forward. And so today, I'm going to invite us to listen in on a conversation with the Reverend Jen Butler, who is the pastor at Corvallis UCC. And over the past three years, they have been on a journey of discernment and living into um, a new way of being in the world as they have been invited to provide manna, daily bread, uh, through housing to people in their community. And so this is part of a presentation that Jen did at our annual gathering last week in a, a knowledge camp, a workshop called Shelter Me, where she shared some about their process and how they have been moving through this liminal time. So I invite us just to listen uh, in as we hear their process as a way to think about um, how we might assess and respond to needs in our own community. Just try to talk quickly um, and give you an overview of what happened for us three years ago, uh, summer of 2019, Corvallis was clearing homeless camps, um, as you're probably all aware of happens in your communities as well. And uh, the, our property um, butts up against a hundred acre tree farm that's been left alone for many years, ever since it was planted. And it has historically been a site of um, encampments. And um, this summer in 2019, as, this, as it was actually the county was clearing that site, um, we became aware that folks were in dire need of just sanitation. They needed a place to go to the bathroom. They needed a dumpster, things like that. And so we put a couple of those porta potties in a dumpster in our parking lot. We'd done that off and on over the course of the past 20 years. Um, and then one Sunday, uh, someone came to church in the morning and told us that someone had been arrested for sleeping on our front porch that night. It was a trespassing arrest. And I, we got curious, why would that happen? And so I uh, communicated with law enforcement and law enforcement, you know, just said, well, we, we figured that's what you would want us to do. And we said, no, we don't want um, anyone to be in trouble for sleeping on church property. And then as they were continuing their sweep of that hundred acres, what we think happened, no one will confirm it, but we think law enforcement told campers, well, get as close as you can to the congregational church. If you get on their property, they're not, we can't do anything about it. So uh, one day I came to work in the morning and there were 25, between 25 and 30 people camped on our property. And we own a tiny, tiny strip, just a couple acres of that that forested land, um, which the church bought several years ago as a buffer to protect themselves from whatever development might happen on that tree farm when eventually it was sold and developed. Um, so, so all of these people and all of these really unattractive tents just showed up on our property and the church, um, I, this is not something I was interested in doing was not something that I figured that it was downtown Corvallis where this um, activity was always going to take place, it's a tiny community. We are out kind of in the boonies. Um, I figured we were pretty safe. 
but when about 30 people end up on your property <laughs> asking for shelter with literally nowhere to go it looks pretty shitty if you try to turn them away so um we didn't we just figured out how to continue to shelter them and um we had to go battle pretty fiercely with both the city and the county um, because we're in a weird jurisdictional space. We relied upon RELUPA and we're very lucky to have a RELUPA is a federal law that protects religious institutions um, sheltering persons on their property. We had a land use attorney in the congregation, just a complete blessing to have her because every attorney we talked to said this is going to be a $200,000 court case. Um, but our congregant did it, you know, she, she didn't do anything. She didn't officially represent us. She was just savvy. And she told us what we needed to do to jump through the hoops. And um, with Alita's um, leadership and prompting, we were just aggressive and assertive and we didn't back down. And um, so many people from the conference supported us in uh, making this, um, changing zoning codes, changing, ordinances in the county, which allowed us to safely shelter um, up to 23 bodies in whatever way we chose to. Um, we've transitioned from tents into micro shelters, which look like tiny houses. Um, they're, they're not quite the, the pallet shelter construction. Um, they, they look like tiny houses, but they're very basic and very small. Um, we have 18 of those on our space. We can shelter up to 23 persons in those. And over the last, since 2019, uh, we've partnered with other congregations. So other congregations in Corvallis, we've changed restrictions around what can happen in parking lots. So there are other congregations that have these um, shelters in their, in their parking lots and in their property. We have a village model. Um, we're also working with an evangelical congregation in Corvallis now to do the second installation of a village model. Um, we've partnered with all of the social service providers, of course, in Corvallis to do the things like case management, um, food, hygiene, wraparound care and support. There's a lot that's gone um, really well. The neighbors were a disaster. Um, that was a very intense battle and is still um, not pleasant three years later, but we're doing okay. Of course, there were people in the neighborhood who have always supported us and have been great champions and who started coming to church because of what we were doing. We too have really been developing our activist arm um, in not letting the county off the hook. I really appreciated what Brendan said about, um, about holding uh, government accountable for caring for its citizens, all of its citizens, and not passing the burden off to the churches, which is so easy to do and what Corvallis has done for years and years and years. So we have a pretty strong um, community organizing grassroots arm around our work now in collaboration with other folks where we just keep pressing for really pressing right now for sanctioned camping. I regret, um, I regret that we put tiny homes on our property. I wish that we had stayed with tents and figured out how to heat them um, because tents are such a, a controversial um, image, but 
they are what so many folks who are living rough prefer for a number of reasons, including the fact that four walls in a very small space can trigger a lot of past trauma, a prison cell, um, things like that. And we really do serve, it's a low barrier shelter what we're doing. So we have um, addicts, we have a lot of um, uh, pretty intense mental health challenges happening in our spaces. And we do not outsource um, the support around that. We work in partnership with case management, but the church has developed a wraparound um, program of holistic care. And what we're trying to do is be in solidarity, be in community, and as much as we can um, create self-managed um, communities. I think the church is in such a brilliant position to do this. Um, what we're trying to do, what I've what I feel um, in the three years of the crash course I've had in this work is that um, helping agencies are so transactional and not, um, not oriented toward the soul of a person. And so we are trying to change the language around um, from charity to solidarity, but also just to talk about belovedness and that a person is welcome and whole um, and worthy of shelter and uh, hygiene and sanitation and food and good medical care, um, regardless of whether they're using or clean or sober or not sober. And that has been a big challenge um, to sort of, we're, we're, we're talking about decolonizing social services and deprofessionalizing social services. And I think the church is in such a perfect place to do that. We've been disappointed in other churches that haven't wanted to join our work, but it's, it's intense work. And, and some of you know just really how intense it is. And so um, not everyone in our community has, has sort of been able to join our work. Um, I think what's next for us is really thinking about um, the building. We have an enormous building that we try to use as a public space, a community space as much as possible. Um, of course, we're sitting empty um, for lots of things during COVID, but what we have not been empty for is a space for folks to gather and do recovery groups and come and get um, clothes, food, shelter. I am really curious. Um, I have never had so many people interested in what we're doing in the 12 years that I've been in Corvallis, um, young people, people who have really identify as, you know, atheists have, want nothing to do the, with the church show up and say, I don't know what's going on here, but this is what I think church should be about. And as much as we can get away from, this is a space where we um, hold hands and sing hymns on Sunday morning, which I know is important, but it is not the only reason the church exists. I am really curious about using our building um, for other purposes. And, um, and I think the congregation, it's, it's so fascinating to me. COVID has been so hard, but such a blessing in so many ways because it has freed our imaginations um, and, and inspired us to think differently and to really reevaluate what we do and why we do it. And, um, what the church is becoming or has the capacity to become. And so that's um, kind of what we're doing and what I, what I, where I think we're going and what some of the challenges are for us.
Well, several things struck me as I listened to uh, Jen share their journey in Corvallis. The first is that they really try to attend to the concrete needs of their local community. This was literally in their backyard. And so as we move forward in our year of discernment, I uh, wonder and I invite us all to think together, to listen together, what are those concrete needs in our local community here in Lake Oswego? What is it that people are crying out for? And how might we be able to respond to those very real needs? Uh, the second thing that she talked about was how this has been a process. She mentioned being on this three-year intensive journey. And uh, it's been a wilderness time even for them as they have lived into how to do this. And so it's not something that easily came about and they, they got it working just so, but that it took uh, time and risk and energy to onboard the church and the community and the neighbors and the county and um, but that they were able to make the path by walking and to trust God to to guide them along the way and so it's an invitation to us to think about how can we um, listen and begin to move forward and trust that what is needed will will fall into place I think the third thing that really struck me uh, in what she shared was how much this was a labor of love, that it was really about looking at the belovedness of others and trying to listen uh, for what they needed. I thought it was so interesting where she shared that she wishes they hadn't done tiny homes, that they had stayed with tents because that was what some of the people really needed. And so as we're thinking and discerning in this time, how can we listen for what is truly needed and not just what we think uh, people need. And so um, I share this not as a roadmap for what we must do, as in we have to go put up tiny homes in our parking lot, but more to think about how can we as a congregation um, use this time of liminality and wilderness to really think about what is God longing to do in us and through us uh, beyond the the walls of this church and, and to respond to needs in our community. This idea of responding to needs in our community and uh, even working on houselessness is not new to us. It is actually in the DNA of our church. Uh, some of you know that it was uh, 35 years ago now, back in 1986, when a group of people uh, started to notice that there was an issue with homelessness here in Clackamas County and we needed to do something about it. And so leaders from seven, seven different churches got together and began to ask, what can we do? And they began a two-year discernment process, listening for what was needed. And it was realized that transitional housing was needed. And so they asked, can anyone host anyone in their churches? And everybody said no. And so they asked again, are you sure? Can you look again? And that was when our church said, well, we have this old classroom that can be repurposed and we can pull the desk out and put a shower in. And that's how the Lake Oswego Transitional Shelter Ministry was born. And so for 12 years, families lived inside our church building, sharing space with the congregation. And then eventually we built the apartment that is now attached to our church. But it's an example of how our church has responded to those concrete needs. And, and Lotsam is still alive and well. And so the question for us is really to think about as we move forward, what are the needs? What are the needs today in 2021? And 
how can we respond? What gifts and buildings and facility and land and expertise and passions have we been given to get on board with what the Spirit wants to do in and through us? As we hear in this story, there is an economy of enoughness. And we know we have been blessed with lots of abundance and privilege. And so how can we begin to share what we have so that there is indeed enough for all? As we remember this story of manna, may we remember that not only does God give us our daily bread, but God invites us to be part of the daily bread of others. So may we listen for how God wants to use us, lead us, uh, feed us, and help us to feed others in these coming years. Amen.